Welcome to the Maranatha Baptist Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this sermon from God's Word will be a blessing to you and will grow your love for Jesus Christ. We would encourage you to use it only as a supplement to your regular intake of God's Word in your local church. If you need help connecting with a local church, please reach out to us on our website, mbcgrimes.org. Well, it's quite frequent in life that we face setbacks. We face things that we weren't expecting, things that we weren't planning on, things that we didn't want. When the course of life goes different than we were planning, oftentimes those, those setbacks even touch on things that we were really hoping for. Right? A new job opportunity or long-term good relationships and family that are, that are suddenly broken. Things that we had been longing for, goals and dreams and expectations, and then this setback comes in that just sort of destroys it all. And like the Apostle Paul, there's the ship is broken apart on the rocks and you're just kind of floating to shore on a, on a broken piece of timber. Or you reach into a fire to get warmth in the, the rainy cold and out comes a snake and bites you right on the hand. Life can feel this way at times, but I I love the perspective we just sang together, right? That that no matter what the setbacks of life are, we can say, it is well with my soul. Why? Well, I love that third stanza. My sin, (laughs) then the author pauses, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. You see, through the gospel, whatever setbacks of life we face, nothing can stop the mission of God in my life. Number one, to save me from my sin and to give me a home in His heaven forevermore. Nothing can stop that. Number two, Nothing can stop his mission for me in this life, which is what we see in the Apostle Paul's life in this text. That as Paul is on mission, right, proclaiming the gospel, showing the world in his life and with his words that Jesus is the Savior, nothing can stop that. Not a shipwreck, not a snake bite, not the rejection of the Jews, not two years of house arrest in Rome. The gospel just goes forward. There's encouragement in that. Not only is our eternity secure through the gospel, but our purpose in this life cannot be hindered by setbacks. That's so encouraging. I don't know what setback you're facing today, but I want to remind you that the mission of God in this life for you and for me cannot be hindered by setbacks. And so we can press on and share the gospel with confidence because nothing can hinder the mission of God. That theme largely comes from the last two verses, not only of chapter 28, but actually the whole book of Acts, where where Luke sort of summarizes all that's been happening. Turn to them. We'll start at the end, right? So you hear the end of the story here. It says, Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house, received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there's two descriptions. First, with all confidence... And secondly, no one forbidding him. The the, the word is literally without hindrance. 
So while he's bound in house arrest, in chains with a guard attached to him, nothing can hinder the gospel. People are coming to him and the the gospel is spreading. We actually learn in the book of Philippians that there are members of Caesar's household who are saved. Cool. The word of God just continues to spread, though the messenger is trapped in his house. The mission of God cannot be hindered. So I want you to be encouraged today. Whatever setbacks you're facing, God's purpose for you cannot be hindered. Even through setbacks, we can share the gospel with confidence. So let's walk through Paul's story here. We read it together already, and we're going to learn together how we can sort of participate in this mission of God and how it's so important for us to to press on in sharing the gospel. In this first scene, we kind of see the the remains of a a shipwreck and, and a snake bite. Luke begins in verse 1 of chapter 28 and mentions that they just escaped, right? And so you remember what happened in chapter 27. They think they're all going to die. And, you know, remember they just, they, their attempt had been to go just 50 miles up the coast of Crete. And then the wind blows them out into the Mediterranean Sea and they're lost at sea, but not lost to God God sends a messenger to, uh, to Paul, an encouraging word that everyone on the ship is going to be saved. And sure enough, it turns out just that way. And, and so they arrive on shore safely. And they find out this place is called Malta. What we learn in this first scene is that shipwrecks and snake bites end up bringing opportunities for ministry. Now, you understand the metaphors here. Typically, we won't face shipwrecks and snake bites very often in our lives, but these are, these are metaphors for setbacks, things that we weren't planning on, things we didn't ask for, things we didn't really want in our lives. But even with those setbacks, God opens the door with opportunities for ministry. So as we work through this scene, notice how that happens in the Apostle Paul. It's like a, like a domino effect. One thing leads to another. So they find out the island is Malta, and uh, we'll look at a map soon and see right where Malta is located. The locals on the island, Luke calls them natives. We tend not to use that word as often today. We might think of islanders or locals or something like that. They show them unusual kindness. Now, this is maybe, maybe rare, you know, there's these random strangers that wash up on shore uh, but here they actually, they actually care for them. They show them kindness. They make them welcome. They start a fire because it's raining and chilly. Remember, we're heading into the winter months. It's likely maybe around November at this time. Oh, here we are in November. Our weather's probably better than they were experiencing. So they start a fire and they're warming. And Paul is kind of helping out, right? He's just trying to do a good deed. Oh, yeah, I'll gather some sticks. And so among some bundle of sticks that he picked up, there's a snake in the middle of it, he throws it on the fire. The snake doesn't like the heat, and so it latches onto his hand. I mean, just, if you imagine this scene, right? It says uh, there in verse 3, it fastened on his hand. How's that for a pleasant thought? I mean, just imagine a snake fastened to your hand. You know, this wasn't just like a quick bite. It's just like, I'm just imagining Paul, you know, with the snake hanging from her. Oh, right? The others, I mean, it's, it, it is, it's hanging from his hand because in verse 4 we read that the, the locals, the islanders, see the creature hanging from his hand and they know exactly what this means. They recognize that snake. 
that's a poisonous snake. And so they assume, oh, this guy's about to die. They kind of credit it to what we would call today karma. They don't call it that. They actually credit it to justice. Interesting that these islanders have some sense of, you know, divine justice out there. They don't believe in the true God, of course, but they recognize like, well, this murderer must have escaped the sea, so justice makes sure that that he still dies, right? Crediting Crediting it to kind of what we would call today karma. But that's actually not what's going on, is it? Because we read in verse 5 that he just shakes the snake off of his hand and kind of goes on with his business. And this next part in verse 6, I, I love imagining this, you know, because just there's this fire and they're warming themselves around. I mean, this is just a crazy scene, right? And Paul's got the snake. He, he shakes it off into the fire and they're all kind of like wide-eyed, you know, leaning in, watching him. And it says in verse 6 that they're just, they're expecting that he would swell up and suddenly fall down dead. And it even says, after they had looked for a long time. I really love imagining this. You know, how long was there this silence around the fire where they're all just staring at Paul, you know? I would have been looking at my hand like, oh, yep, I think it's swelling. I'm, I feel a tingling in my fingers. Something's happening. You know, this, that's, that would have been my response. But Paul's just, right, twice Paul had been told that he was going to make it to Rome to appear before Caesar. And so Paul seemingly is just trusting the Lord. He's very calm here. And they're all watching Okay, any moment he's going to keel over. You know, what, a, what an awkward scenario that must have been. Well, Paul doesn't die. After watching him a long time, they finally realize nothing's happening here. And so they shift from assuming he's a murderer whom justice has decided to kill over to thinking that he's divine in some way, some kind of God. That's not ideally what Paul would want them to think of him. And so I'm sure there was some, you know, correction or instruction as had happened with Paul before. But notice how it opens a door in verse 7. They, they see that Paul is unaffected by this snake bite. And so they know that something powerful is at work in him. And so as a result, in verse 7, the leading citizen of the island wants to see him. And so they go to this massive estate of a man named Publius, the, the leading citizen. The word means magistrate, some kind of leader or ruler on this island, most powerful man on the island, we could say. And so Paul is called up to his house and they go in and, and spend time with him. And it turns out that while Paul is there, Publius is like, well, you know, my father is sick with fever and dysentery. Could you heal him? And Paul's able to heal Publius' father. And then that opens another door for ministry. Everyone sick on the island begins coming to Publius' estate where Paul begins healing all of these people. Now, we're not told explicitly in these verses, but we know by now how Paul does ministry. What is Paul preaching while he heals these people? You know what he's preaching. He's preaching the gospel, right? I mean, every time Paul did a healing, it led right to a message about Jesus Christ. This person was healed by the power of the name of Jesus Christ. And there isn't salvation in any other but in him alone, right? And so ministry doors are just opened wide because of a snake bite. Leads to one thing, leads to another. 
You know, who knows if the gospel ever would have made it to Malta, but for the shipwreck that God had brought into Paul's life. And he floats onto the, the sandy shores of Malta wondering, God, what are you doing? I thought I was supposed to go to Rome, right? But then open doors to share with Publius and to, to heal many people on this island to preach the gospel. And as a result, we see in verse 10, they honor him and the others with him, giving them gifts, providing for their needs, and they head off on their journey from there. Shipwrecks and snake bites bring opportunities for ministry. Not what Paul would have wanted or asked for, but God opens the doors in incredible ways for ministry to the Maltese, for ministry to Publius, for healing of those who are sick, and for the spreading of the gospel. It's often those very setbacks, we could call them sometimes closed doors, that allow us to see or notice the the other open door, or some have said even the, the open window just to the right of the closed door. One example of this that has often been an encouragement to me is a woman named Johnny Erickson Tata. You've probably heard her story. As uh, as a young girl, uh, she had a diving accident and and broke her neck and became a quadriplegic. And uh, she wrestled with that for a number of years, didn't didn't, uh, necessarily immediately respond uh, in the right way to the Lord, but God worked on her heart over the years. And she, she did soften her heart before the Lord and, and recognize this was part of God's sovereign plan for her life. And from that point forward, it's amazing to see how God has used her in ministry. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me if you already know her name or have read a book by her or have interacted with her ministry. And so now for years and years, she's been ministering to people with disabilities and speaking at conferences and and sharing the glory of God just by the way she has handled her own disability. Now think about it for a second. Would she have ever wanted or asked for being paralyzed from the neck down? No, absolutely not. But how God opened doors for ministry through that difficulty, through that setback in her life. A a ministry in ways that she never could have done had she not gone through that experience. God used that setback to open doors for ministry for her that would have been closed if she had full use of her body. Shipwrecks and snake bites bring opportunities for ministry. And so, with every setback you face in life, look for the opportunity that God is providing along with it to further the gospel. It will always be there. Setbacks do not hinder God's mission. Setbacks do hinder our plans. I want to be clear about that distinction. Sometimes setbacks are most discouraging to us because they do hinder our plans. They do, right? We had some course laid out, some path we wanted to follow, and the thing that happened keeps me from what I wanted. I mean, I guarantee Paul's plan for getting to Rome did not involve a shipwreck and a snake bite. And so our own setbacks, this is why they they become so uh, frustrating to us, is because they do mess with our plans. 
And what we have to remember in those moments is that they have not messed with God's plans. And the faster we can shift and flex and get on board with God's plan, the better off we'll be. Setbacks are really revealing about what's going on in our hearts. The more frustrated I am by a setback, the more clear it is how attached I was to my plan instead of God's plan. And the faster I can open my hands again and say, okay, Lord, by this setback, it's become really clear that this was not your plan for me. I submit. I'm ready to get on board with your plan. Show me, help me see, what opportunities are you providing as a result of this setback in my life? Setbacks do hinder our plans. You don't make the basketball team. You lose interest in your college degree. You have trouble finding a job. A health issue forces you to retire early. Keeps you from traveling the way you want. I mean, there's any, any number. that The list could be infinite of the kinds of setbacks we can face. But remember that these setbacks never hinder God's purpose for us. Setbacks help me to quickly get on board with what God is doing. How can this setback give me a better opportunity to be a witness for the gospel? Maybe through your health issues, you have opportunities to share the gospel with a doctor. Trials always point us to Jesus. If you aren't a believer, the trial you're going through may be pointing to the fact that you need Jesus in your life. If you are a believer, that trial is pointing you to ways you can grow to become more like Him. Our scripture is clear that trials grow and affect the, the character of Jesus Christ in our lives. Responding to trials with patience and grace gives us a, a greater means of displaying the character of Christ, the fruit of the Spirit. A friend that had gone through a health trial recently was sharing that in one conversation it came out with their doctor that they were a Christian. And they began talking about that a little bit and the doctor responded, ah, maybe that explains why you've been so calm through this health experience. And an opportunity to be a light for Jesus even through a trial. Maybe the setback just gives you more time to pray to talk with the Lord, to read His Word, to talk with others and be an encouragement to them. Whatever your setback today, look for God's provision because setbacks never hinder the mission of God. We come to the next section of the text and uh, they, they make their way towards Rome we're told in verses 11, 12, and 13, kind of the pathway they take, and I have a, a map up here. Those are always fun to look at as we study these things. So you see in the text, they find an Alexandrian ship. That's another ship down from Egypt, probably carrying grain, just like the last one. I might have been a little hesitant to get on another ship like that, but, uh, but they do it. They get on. Uh, Luke points out that this one has what's called the Twin Brothers uh, at the head, the figurehead of the ship. This was often something that was either painted or sometimes even carved into the front of the ship. The twin brothers were uh, supposed to be the sons of Zeus, Castor and Pollux, and they were recognized as the ones who guarded prosperity on the sea. 
Now we're going to see at the end of the text why that's, uh, why that's important and why I think Luke points that out here. But there's this temptation to trust uh, these two figureheads at the front of the ship for safe passage to Rome. And sure enough, they make their way. They leave Malta down here below Sicily and the island. They make their way. Syracuse is a port on Sicily and they come up to the, the tip of the boot of Italy, as it were, right? Uh, Regium. And then they make their way up to Puteoli, which is a, a common port. Uh, they're not far from modern-day Naples, and uh, they make port there. And then it's likely from there that the rest of their journey is on foot. I would have been very excited about that part of the journey. Uh, no more sea travel. And so we read about those stages in verses 11 through 13. And so they're there in Puteoli uh, getting ready to make the rest of their journey. But what I want you to notice there is in verse 14. It's there in that port city, Puteoli, where they find brethren. Right? This is Paul's first time to Italy, but they find brothers and sisters in Christ living there in Puteoli. This is a foreign land for Paul, and he's, he's on his way to prison. I mean, it's not a real exciting trip, right? Just the closer he gets, the closer he gets to prison. But here, God has provided some brothers and sisters in Christ right there in Puteoli. They stay with them seven days. I think it's another sign that uh, the centurion Julius has kind of become friends with Paul, and he lets them delay their journey by seven days to just enjoy fellowship with these believers there. So seven days they enjoy that fellowship, and then they press on towards Rome on foot. From there, verse 15 tells us, there are some other believers who hear that Paul is in Italy. So again, I think it's so cool that God's mission is bigger than Paul. Paul's first time, but by God's sovereign mission, there are already believers throughout Italy. Isn't that cool? They hear Paul is on the, uh, it's not an island, who is in Italy. And so these believers come from two locations. These, it's just so intriguing to me. The Appy Forum and Three Inns. Okay, well, we don't know exactly where these two things were. There's one listed here, the Forum of Appius, right here. Um, and the other one is called Three Inns, or some of your Bibles may say Three Taverns, or uh, in modern English, we might say Three Shops. Uh, so these were two common gathering areas. We could call them sort of communities. They were along what was called the Appian Way. You may have heard that before because in history, that's one of the major thoroughfares in Italy to the city of Rome. One of the the best and most ancient roads was the Appian Way. And so that's likely the road they traveled on their way to Rome. And the Forum of Appius Appius, uh, was this marketplace. There was a place for debates and things like that. And so it was kind of a gathering place for travelers. And this other place called the Three Shops was a place to get supplies and so forth on your way to Rome along the Appian Way. And so there were believers in these locations and they traveled down the road to meet up with Paul, excited to meet him. Notice Paul's response in the end of verse 15. Paul saw them, he thanked God, and took courage. So God, in this foreign land, has provided fellowship with other believers, despite the unfamiliar territory. I mean, Paul is marching to prison, possibly even his death. And in this foreign land, God brings these just 
unexpected encouragement from brothers and sisters in Christ that I'm sure Paul had, had no idea they were there. God just kind of brings them along to be an encouragement to Paul. It says he took courage and thanked the Lord. And then on top of that, verse 16, they get to Rome. Julius the centurion uh, delivers the prisons to the captain of the guard, except for Paul. Paul, for whatever reason, without explanation except God's sovereignty, uh, Julius allows Paul to live in a house on some form of house arrest. And all he has is one guard with him. He has to stay in this house, but it's very different from what the other prisoners faced. So just some neat provisions from God as Paul makes his way to Rome. We find through this text that courage doesn't actually come from the images of Zeus's sons on the front of the ship. Courage comes from God's provision of fellowship. That's when Paul gives thanks and takes courage because his brothers and sisters are there standing with him in this scary time. Despite unfamiliar territory, God provides encouraging fellowship. It was actually on a trip to the island of Corsica. I'll bring the map up one more time because you can see it right up here. Uh, been on that island with some missionaries to the island of Corsica. And uh, while we were there, uh, we were fellowshipping with some believers there. And uh, we had this huge meal, all sorts of meats and cheese. It was like a table-long charcuterie board. I mean, it was fantastic in a French territory. So you can imagine the kinds of meats and cheeses that we had. I didn't even know what they were because they told me what they were in French. So um, just an incredible spread. And so after the service, we had this meal together and we were fellowshipping with some of the believers there. Well, somewhat. I say fellowship because it's a French territory and so they speak, you guessed it, French. And I do not speak French. All right, so there were the missionaries that spoke English that we could sort of interact with. Um, But it was difficult to interact with others around the table beyond just, hmm, you know, good cheese, thumbs up, you know, kind of things like this. Well, during the course of lunch, I don't even remember how this happened, but I discovered somebody else at the table who spoke a little bit of Spanish. And so this French person who spoke a little Spanish and this American who spoke a little Spanish began to communicate to one another in a third foreign language, right? And so we're trying to piece things together with a French-Spanish accent and an English-Spanish accent, and that was another fun experiment. But we actually got to talk a little bit and shared how they came to know the Lord as Savior and how I came to know the Lord as Savior in broken Spanish as we spoke with one another. And there was sweet fellowship in a third foreign language. Maybe you've experienced something like that as well, where in unfamiliar territory where you really didn't know people, God provides some believers. And even beyond your expectations, like, wow, there truly is fellowship in the salvation of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ around the globe, there's sweet fellowship available to each other. Despite unfamiliar territory, God provides encouraging fellowship. Maybe you feel like you are in unfamiliar territory these days. Maybe you're starting a new job. Maybe you uh, have been in a hospital room where you didn't know anybody. Or maybe it's the beginning of uh, a new experience for you in a foreign land, or with new neighbors. Maybe it's just unfamiliar territory and what's going on with your family or the the decisions that are pressing down upon you. 
In the midst of those times, look for God's provision of fellowship. God did not design his people to be islands unto themselves, to try to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and go it alone. God's designed us to find encouragement from brothers and sisters in Christ. That's part of why he tells us to bear with one another. Because finding encouragement in fellowship involves patience with one another. Looking forward to times together. So I encourage you to keep treasuring your fellowship with God's people. And those times when you're in unfamiliar territory and maybe tempted to begin to withdraw, I encourage you to do the opposite and lean in to the opportunities for fellowship that God has provided in, in your life. I encourage you to come out tonight at 6 o'clock to our church fellowship. And even as we come, don't make it so much about food, which will be delicious, I'm sure, but look for that spiritual refreshment and encouragement that comes from talking with other brothers and sisters in Christ. And not just about the weather and about Thanksgiving plans, but about what God is doing in your life and the things you're thankful for to Him. Refresh one another with spiritual encouragement. Despite unfamiliar territory, God uses our brothers and sisters in Christ to provide encouragement. As we come to the third scene of our text, we're going to see that while Paul is imprisoned behind closed doors, God opens doors for the gospel. Now, he's not literally in a prison. He's in house arrest. But I want you to notice that even though he's in house arrest, God gives opportunities for the gospel to go forward. He is bound, but the gospel is not. Okay, notice in our text, beginning of verse 17. Paul, in house arrest, somehow is able to call for the leaders of the Jews to come visit him. And they do. I mean, this, to me, just seems really rare. I don't know how Paul arranged this, if he sent Aristarchus and Luke uh, to go talk with them, uh, how they even would have known that it was worthwhile to come talk to Paul, we don't know for sure. But they come. They actually come to his house and he begins to talk with them about his experience, what happened to him in Jerusalem and how he was arrested and the Jews were opposed to him there. And he even mentions how the Romans thought he was innocent and almost let him go. In verse 18, but the Jews spoke against it, so he appealed to Caesar and he kind of assures them there. He's like, I, I have nothing to say to Caesar against our people, against our nation, the Israelites. So this isn't, I'm not opposed to Jews even though they're the reason I'm in prison. Paul actually says in verse 20, I'm in chains for the hope of Israel. Now that's a, that's a very winsome thing for Paul to say. He's actually kind of inviting them in and saying, look, I'm in chains because I believe in hope for Israel, right? I'm for you guys. I have an important message to share with you. Well, who is the hope of Israel? We know who he's talking about. He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior God sent to save his people. They respond in verse 21 pretty interestingly. They're like, well, we, we didn't receive anything from uh, Jerusalem or Judea, and those who've traveled here from there didn't really speak against you. So, you know, we're open to listening to you. In fact, they even say in verse 22 that they want to hear from him because they've been hearing about this sect you know, the way, Christianity, whatever this thing is. And everybody speaks against it. But we want to hear from somebody who actually believes it and to find out what's going on. What an incredible opportunity. What an incredible open 
door while Paul is in house arrest. Here, the leading Jews in the city of Rome come to him with a desire to hear about Christianity. Think about that. Paul, would you tell us what it means to be a Christian? Uh, yeah, I could do that. And so Paul, in the next section, begins to open up with them about what it means to be a Christian. So you see in verse 23, they, they appoint a specific day where they're all going to come back to his house. I mean, think about schedules and how difficult that would be. You've tried to arrange calendars with people before, right? All of these leading Jews figure out a day they can come back and listen to Paul. And they come to him at his lodging and he explains, I mean, I love verse 23, He explains and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. Now that would have been a fun session. Oh, to sit in on that, you know, and just hear Paul uh, teach and preach from all of Scripture how it points to Jesus as the true Messiah, the hope of Israel. Morning till evening. What an incredible open door for the gospel. Even though Paul is in house arrest, God opens the door for the gospel. You know, it was actually, many believe, during these two years that Paul was in house arrest in Rome that he also was able to write uh, letters to the church in Ephesus, the church in Philippi, the church in Colossae, and to his friend Philemon. Four major epistles in the New Testament, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, that likely Paul wrote during this time while he's in prison. I mean, it's just such a cool reminder to me that though he is bound to one single house, the the word of Christ just explodes from that place. Though he is bound, the gospel is not. I love that. It may be that you've experienced some kind of closed doors in your life. We have plenty of them. Uh, You find out that in your education, it's going to require an extra year of school. Maybe you're making plans to get married, but it turns out you can't get married as soon as you had hoped. Or early in your marriage, you discover you aren't able to have kids. Or you experience a financial loss that wasn't expected. Or or suddenly there's a lawsuit against you over something that you hadn't done. Or or a health issue pops up that keeps you homebound. We we experience all sorts of closed doors in life. But friend, remember that those closed doors cannot bind the gospel. It can't hinder God's purpose for us. And with those closed doors, God brings open doors for the gospel We can ask ourselves in the midst of our setbacks, how is this making me more like Jesus? How will this help me to show his love and mercy and patience and compassion to those I meet as I go through this trial? What opportunities is this presenting to to pray, to depend on God, to encourage others? How can I better put the gospel on display in my life? Who is there around me that God has given me a platform with whom I can share the gospel, that they might know what I hope in through this trial, that they too might hope in him. While he's imprisoned behind closed doors, God opens the door for the gospel. With every apparent setback, 
God provides opportunities. We come then to the final section. And you're going to notice in this section, number four, that rejection and unbelief only propel the gospel further. Right? So in the previous scene, we saw how these Jews come to the Apostle Paul and he persuades. And I mean, it's just day long exposition of Scripture of how Jesus is the Messiah. I mean, my expectation with that would be like, everybody gets saved, right? Let's go for another Pentecost experience here. 5,000 people come to Christ, right? Well, it doesn't go quite that way. We, we read in verse 25 that, excuse me, verse 24, back up one. Some were persuaded by the things which were spoken and some disbelieved. But the key comes in verse 25. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed. Now, we're going to read what Paul says to them and how that played into why they departed. But there's something else you need to understand about their culture. Our culture today is very individualistic. Their culture was not. It was more community-oriented. And so a gathering like this of the leading Jews, it, it really didn't matter what each of them individually believed. That wasn't the point. What they were looking for is, was to come to a consensus about Christianity. And so when you read a verse like 24, some were persuaded, some disbelieved. That's not the solution yet. That's not what they're even looking for. That's just some of them going, well, yeah, I think he could be right. And others going, well, I'm not so sure. But they, they weren't going to convert unless all of them came to the conclusion, yes, this is Orthodox Judaism. Jesus is the Messiah. And so it's really sad when, because they couldn't agree with each other, they leave undecided. Luke points out that Paul said something specific around the time they left. <laughs> Verse 25 and following. Paul had said one word, the Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers. A fun side note here, the Apostle Paul clearly believes in the inspiration of Scripture. He credits Isaiah's words to the Holy Spirit, which is pretty neat as a side note. But then he quotes Isaiah 6, verses 9 and 10. And he references a time in Israel's history when God was sending Isaiah to preach to the people but God was telling Isaiah that, well, a lot of them are going to be hard-hearted. They'll hear your words, but they won't understand. They'll see your ministry, but they won't perceive. And you notice in that quotation of Isaiah 6 what it's all blamed on uh, when it comes to the end of verse 27. Lest they should understand with their hearts and turn that I should heal them. And what's it all based on at the beginning of verse 27? The hearts of this people have grown dull. That's hard-heartedness. They were no longer sensitive to the Word of God. They were no longer sensitive to what God said. And so even when God's messenger came, they kind of just had this, yeah, 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 we know this stuff mentality. They weren't tender to the Word. They weren't listening carefully to what the prophet Isaiah said. They were hard-hearted. And so because of that, they would reject Isaiah's words. And so when Paul quotes that to them, he's sort of implying to these Jews who are meeting there as they debate whether Jesus is really the Messiah, Paul has spent the whole day making it clear to them. He said, hey, be careful, guys, lest the words of the prophet Isaiah become true for you. 
that you're being hard-hearted, not tender to the Word of God, not responding to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Well, they didn't like that very much. So in verse 28, Paul says, Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. See, what happens is that their rejection of the gospel actually propels the gospel to the Gentiles. And in fact, God had been intending to do this. He talked about it through the prophet Isaiah. A really neat verse in the book of Isaiah uh, can be found in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, where God, through the prophet of Isaiah, says this, "'It is too small a thing for you, the Messiah, to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach the ends of of the earth. That's Isaiah 49 verse 6. This isn't a surprise to God. God knew that there would be hard-hearted Jews and that as a result of their rejection, the gospel would be propelled forward to the Gentiles. How exciting is that? Friends, you and I ought to be pretty thankful that God had decided to send the gospel to the Gentiles because I don't have a drop of Jewish blood in me. I am a foreigner uh, of the commonwealth of Israel without hope and without God in the world. But God reached into my life with the gospel, drew me to saving faith in Jesus Christ. You see, rejection and unbelief only propel the gospel further. This is how God works. Well, Paul's words to the Jews upset them a little bit. They didn't like being told that they were hard-hearted and resisting the Word of God, and so they leave undecided and, in effect, rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's how it ends, at least with them. In verses 30 and 31, we have kind of Luke's summary of, of what's going to happen next, and Paul stays in his house for two years receives people who come to him. Again, though he is bound, the gospel is not. People come visit him and he shares and preaches in verse 31, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that summary of Paul's efforts, preaching the kingdom of God. You know, we talk a lot about heaven, but it really is all about the kingdom. Heaven is an eternal kingdom. Scripture's clear that first, Jesus Christ will, will rapture his church to be with him. Then, during the tribulation, he will begin to fill, fulfill his promises to Israel, calling his people back to himself. At the end of the tribulation, he'll usher in what Scripture calls the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Christ, where God fulfills his promises to Israel, just as he said. But then, that kingdom with God reigning on the throne through the Lord Jesus Christ, will be ushered into the eternal kingdom, be granted the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem, and we will reign forever with the Lord in His eternal kingdom. Heaven is a kingdom where God reigns forevermore. 
And so Paul is going on preaching the future kingdom of God. And we can imagine that maybe his gospel message to these people is a lot like Jesus' message in John chapter 3. Do you remember how Jesus taught Nicodemus? Nicodemus, the kingdom is real, but there's only one way to enter that kingdom. You must be born again. Jesus went on to explain to Nicodemus how a person is born again and and can gain access to that kingdom only by believing in the one that God sent to die for the sins of the world because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And where is that life? In God's eternal kingdom. Praise God for the gospel. It may be that You're here today as one who has been hard-hearted. Maybe you've even heard that before, but you've been resisting, lest you would turn and be healed by the one who died for you. Would you soften your heart today and hear the truths of the gospel and trust in the only Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ? It may be that you are a believer and your heart has become hard again and you're not listening to the Word of God with a tender spirit, would you soften your heart to the truths of God's Word again today? Let Him have His way with you. But with that, don't be discouraged by those who reject the gospel. Don't fear rejection. Press on. Keep sharing. It's one of the hard realities of this life is that not everyone will receive Jesus Christ as Savior. Some will reject him. Don't be alarmed or discouraged by that, but keep going, keep sharing, stay on mission. Rejection and unbelief only propel the gospel further. With every apparent setback, God provides a way forward. His mission cannot be hindered. I find the closing note of the book of Acts especially encouraging. Paul kept preaching with confidence, no one forbidding him, no one hindering him. You see, nothing can hinder the mission of God. His messengers can be bound, but the gospel can't be bound. We know that Paul, at least from history books and what they would tell us, that Paul will eventually be released The Emperor Nero, for whatever reason, decides he's not a very big threat to Rome, and after those two years, Paul is set free, and he's able to travel some. It's not clear in Scripture exactly where he goes or what. I mean, we can kind of guess he probably visited some of the churches he'd planted in the past. Uh, There's some evidence he may have made it as far west as even Spain. Uh, He certainly writes in one of his letters that that was his intent, to keep going to the ends of the earth. And so Paul had a fruitful ministry even after this time of Roman imprisonment. We know that he wrote some uh, epistles after this time. He wrote 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus after being released uh, from prison here in Rome. And so uh, Paul continued on in ministry. Again, we don't know everything that he did. But then there was a time that Paul was imprisoned again in Rome. This time, it was not house arrest. He was in what we could imagine as solitary confinement, one of the deepest, darkest pits available in Rome. Nero was still the emperor, but things had changed. He'd sort of lost his mind at this point and uh, would, would, in the near future, blame a fire in Rome on the Christians. 
Persecution had escalated to a high degree, and after this imprisonment, Paul would be killed by the emperor, put to death, martyred for his faith. Some of the early church fathers even write that it it may have been at the same time as the apostle Peter. We don't know. But here's the amazing thing. Even the end of Paul's life is not the end of Christianity, is it? Because the mission of God cannot be hindered. They can can bind us, they can persecute us, they can even put us to death, but the gospel goes forward. And the ministry of the gospel in the name of Jesus Christ has expanded and grown for centuries since the time of Christ. It cannot be stopped because God is behind that mission and he's at work. And friends, be encouraged because you and I get to participate in that. We get to be a part of what God is doing and press on and further the gospel to the ends of the earth, looking forward to the day when God will set up his kingdom and put evil down forevermore and reign. Nothing can hinder the mission of God. So friend, where are you at today? Are you on his side, working for his mission? Are you discouraged by setbacks? I encourage you to look for those opportunities that God has provided to further the gospel. Are you distracted from his mission? Maybe seeking your own ends, living for your own purposes. Come back to what God has called you to do, to minister the gospel, to tell the world that Jesus is the Savior. And with every apparent setback, look for God's provision. We'll close with the words of Paul. When he summarized his imprisonment to the Philippian believers, he says to them, the things which have happened to me, (laughs) shipwreck, snake bite, (laughs) traveling to Rome, house arrest, the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. And in this, I greatly rejoice. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you for our journey through the book of Acts and the way we've watched as your mission has gone on unhindered. You are so mighty. Nothing, nothing can stand in your way as you build your church and as the gospel goes forward. And so I pray that you would encourage us today to be ready, willing participants in your work. Help us to get back on mission, looking in our lives at the ways that you are opening doors for us to share the gospel and May we quickly adapt to the closed doors that come up, the the setbacks that you may allow, recognizing how you're providing opportunities right along with them. And so we thank you for your word and its encouragement to us. May you bring glory to your name as the gospel goes forward from this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit our website mbcgrimes.org. May the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and to God be the glory.